0: you're listening to Inside Your Head. I
1: never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant
0: Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by John Cerrito, writer and director of The Way You Look Tonight, which is going to be filming at Dances with Films Film Festival, which is a very cool name. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Yeah. So uh, that plays on June 14th, and the, and the festival itself runs June 13th through the 23rd. So uh, this Friday, it's going to be playing. So can you give people an idea of the, what The Way You Look Tonight is about?
2: Uh, sure. So, um, the way you look tonight is my first feature, and it uh, follows a guy named Peter, who is kind of uh trying to navigate modern online dating. He uh connects with um a woman named um, Elise on a, or sorry, uh, Ellie on a dating app. Uh, and then um it's sort of the connection is instantaneous and great and amazing, but he sort of wakes up and she's vanished, and he is trying to uh sort of put that experience behind him and go on and date new people. But then he sort of uh, notices all these strange similarities between the women that he's dating and the clothes that they're, that they're wearing and uh, sort of gets embroidered in a little bit of a, of a mystery trying to figure out um, what the connection between that first amazing date and these later women are. And it sort of evolves into this sort of magically realistic mystery, romantic comedy. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, that's the way you look tonight.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if uh, if anyone's explained it like this before, but the, uh, when I watch this, is how I felt it to me, it felt almost like a classic Twilight Zone episode where it's uh, sort of s- sort of science fiction in a way. But, you know, but it's uh, talking about like a modern you know, uh, social uh, uh, issue.
2: Yeah. Um. Uh, when we played at uh, the Atlanta Film Festival, it was complete compared to uh, that Black Mirror episode, um, San Junipero. So, yeah, The Twilight Zone is another great uh, comp. I also get uh, Her and, um, yeah, yeah. So, I think, yeah, anything that's sort of like, and I don't think it gives anything away. I guess you can look out for the the sci-fi fantasy elements um, in it, Uh, but it sort of starts in a different place than it ends. Um, Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'm an older generation, so I said Twilight Zone, but Black Mirror would be like the modern equivalent, I believe. If, uh, well, no,
2: I mean, I I love I love like Shatner's Twilight Zone episode, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I was actually watching, I was watching, um, I think on it was Hulu or Amazon, they had uh, not all of them, but like selected sort of like best episodes uh, from the original series, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it it stands the test of time as like probably the greatest anthology show ever, right? Like because oh yeah. Were, It was all these self-contained stories that, you know, when I guess before the advent of, I guess, short films, that was kind of the way you got like a little contained story um, Mm -hmm. once a week. Uh, So, yeah, I don't ever I don't ever take fault in, uh, in being compared to The Twilight Zone yeah um,
0: definitely yeah yeah i guess that would be weird if you're like what do not compare me to uh how like dare you <laughs> yeah um, right and i'm not 70 or something you know i w- when i watched twilight zone it it was long past on tv it was uh re- you know showed on like nick at night and yeah so. oh
2: yeah yeah because it was like before but now that's come back right i haven't watched yeah. any of the new episodes on cbs all I, access but um i know yeah, everybody's I, I in just, it
0: yeah, I just saw the uh, the one that they had uh, free on YouTube to get you into it, and I noticed the mm-hmm. last one was like uh, I think the week before last. So uh, now I've decided I, I do want to subscribe and watch binge watch them all, and then probably so I can just subscribe for a month. Yeah, I
2: was guess. I was waiting for them all to come out so that I because I know you can get like a week of CBS All Access for free. So I was just gonna um, wait for the last one to drop and then binge them all. Uh, but I've heard good things. So this was your
0: first feature film. Would you say that um, working on the shorts helped you prepare to do a feature?
2: Um, yeah, I, I think that. I mean, er- every shoot is sort of just the same phases, just kind of like more and more elaborate, depending on the the size and scale of the production. Um, it was my uh, thesis at uh, I was I went to UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. I was in the directing program. And, uh, yeah, it was my thesis project. So I had like three years, um, to sort of, I mean, shorts also like for anybody interested in, in making a feature shorts are also just kind of great for, um, uh, sort of a learning the ropes and be kind of just making connections. Like I, 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 crewed on as many on three or four times as many, you know, films as I did any other position on, uh, or any, any like production position. So, um, I just spent a few years kind of you know learning how to do everything on set so you could also kind of figure out who the best people doing each job are and you can ask them to come work on your movie uh but yeah i I think that a short is always um a good primer for for how a feature goes um you just have to do it you know three or four times as many days uh depending on um sort of what you're dealing with
0: yeah did you do any of the festivals with your shorts
2: um, I haven't really, I didn't really do. Oh, I, I did a uh, indie Memphis with um, a couple of my shorts. I didn't really do uh, an, an aggressive campaign for, for any of them. I actually just finished one while I was in post on the feature. So maybe that one will uh, see the light of day sometime soon. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, the way you look tonight, is going to be at dances with film, but have you watched it with, uh, with an audience yet? I watched it.
2: Yeah, I watched it at um, uh, another festival called Cinéquest. It had uh, uh, four screenings there, and uh, it's very, it's always interesting as a filmmaker because you do you do test screenings too. Like we did four test screenings, but mm-hmm. um, every audience is different in terms of how they respond to jokes, what they find funny, what they find not funny, um, moments where they get a little bit more tense, or 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 where you can kind of like feel that energy in the space, which is honestly the best part of, of filmmaking for me is, is being able to watch audiences, watch your movies. Um, uh-huh. yeah.
0: Yeah. So I just saw you edit, uh, your own material. Is that uh difficult at all? Because in my mind it would be like, uh, to know the difference between what still works in the movie and what you have like a fond memory of.
2: Yeah. Um, well that is one reason uh, this is the first project that I, I brought on one of my best friends, his name's Will Bryson and he is a, an editor based out of Baltimore and he co-edited the movie with me. So he had, okay. he had the first cut. He assembled the whole film. And then I came in for the second cut. And then we would kind of like trade back and forth different adjustments that we would make. Um, I, I think that it's valuable for any director to know how to edit. Um, I, I highly recommend um, either on um, Adobe Premiere or um, Avid Media Composer. Just kind of learning the, the basic process of editing. Because it, honestly, I think it makes you a better filmmaker on set. Uh, because you start to learn, like, oh, I know how these things are going to cut together. I know I can figure out kind of the pacing. I know what things can I can cut out. Like anything. I don't know if, uh, like, working on this podcast, if you kind of think in terms of what how you're going to edit it later on. But I start to think yeah. about that on set in terms of how I edit. Um, but uh, I think that also it's really great to have someone that you can trust, like my friend Will, to um, kind of offer kind of a... Uh, an opposition to your ideas, but in like a respectful way and in a way that kind of like you brush up against each other and come up with something completely new, which is mm-hmm. always really cool. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because when we started the podcast, uh, I didn't do the, uh, any of the technical side. And so I kind of mm-hmm. learned all that, uh, as we went on. And the first thing I learned was doing the graphics and my uh, webmaster taught me all, all this stuff. And then when I started to do the audio, he told me to look at it as like the graphics, which was interesting because yeah. like it's it's you know it's layers it's same idea as uh doing like graphic design only with sound but on different layers
2: and the same that's thing actually, when I've done video editing too. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good observation I feel like cuz yeah, someone once explained um like uh after effects to me as like photoshop plus time. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like like audio editing is really just like different layered Bits of audio, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, uh, you you kind of have to teach yourself everything, especially when you uh, when when you don't have anybody else to do it for you uh, <laughs> right. at the start of any of any venture. Okay, yeah, that's a good. I'm gonna steal that.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I actually uh, along those lines, the uh, uh, Tyler, my webmaster, we were all friends on a message board how the show started. But anyway, um, and uh, first he would do all the uh, the graphics for me, and then eventually he's like, "No, you gotta start doing these. I'll show you how." But at the time, I was kind of mad. I was like, "Oh, you, I don't want to do this. You can keep doing it." But I am—I'm glad that he taught me how to do it because it's much better not to rely on other people. If you have to,
2: I think if you, you also to. just have a respect, even if you don't end up doing it ultimately. Another mm-hmm. thing to kind of go That's back to, to film yeah. production is like I think just like uh, the first year at UCLA, you make um, six short or sorry, eight short films in eight weeks, and you rotate crew member. Like, so you're like the sound mixer in one and the boom operator and the cinematographer, the the gaffer, you do everything uh, in that rotation. And even if you don't like doing all of them, you kind of gain like a little bit of a reverence mm-hmm. for each position too. So when you can, if, when you are lucky enough to hire someone uh, to come in and, and do that job for you, you can A, uh, know that they're doing it well and B, I just have like a professional respect for them and they for you. Cause you know what you're talking about when you ask them questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I will say when I said uh, they don't have to rely, it's different doing the podcast and making a movie. You wouldn't want to just rely on yourself. That would be, you know, crazy. You'd probably never get anything made.
2: It would be, (laughs) yeah. I I started making like Mm -hmm. little like note, nothing YouTube videos kind of like Uh with uh, like iMovie, what God, like 10 years ago. And it was kind of more like that, but yeah, it's as you kind of step up from tier to tier and you start having to, um, bring other people into the fold. That's also how you can kind of see the difference between someone who's made uh, sort of YouTube videos versus a director of like, of mm-hmm. like fiction because they have to start actually like listening to other people and incorporating their, their ideas and also like articulating to them what it is that they want to do.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, where, where did the idea originate for the way you look tonight?
2: Uh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> So, um, I guess I can talk about this without ruining the, the twist, okay. but, um, so, so, um, the film sort of has a, a secret, a secret, uh, queer agenda is the way that I like to, to put mm-hmm. it, um, a secret LGBT kind of focus. And, uh, that kind of came out of, um, uh, some documentary films that I made very, very early in my, in my sort of filmmaking origin story. I made a documentary about my little cousin Um, who um, was uh, assigned male at birth um, and sort of started to assert that they were um, female around their second birthday, like very, very young. And um, at the time I was 20, didn't know anything about um, sort of uh, trans or gender fluid identity. Um, But through the making of that documentary and just seeing the the child who at at the time was five, and was just so beautifully like articulate and passionate and, and brave about who they were um, sort of inspired me to move on. And then I made another documentary um, called a woman with a physical problem. And it was about uh, four uh, transgender women at various stages of the transition in and around my hometown of, of Memphis, uh, just going through different, you know, day-to-day struggles. And I sort of took a lot of those, Uh, you know, I was just kind of taking notes at the time and, and observing just sort of the things like, you know, having to worry about bathrooms or, you know, Mm -hmm. if my gender marker on on my, on my driver's license is going to get me into trouble when I get stopped by the police, Um, you know, dating and, and healthcare and all these things. And um, I thought that they were incredibly human issues. And I tried to figure out a way to talk about those, Um, in a way, because I am, you know, a cisgendered, you know, white man, I I didn't want to appropriate any of their stories, but I wanted to figure out a way to talk about them in a way that sort of advocated for those issues. And so I came up Mm -hmm. with, um, an allegory for a sort of magical character that exists in uh, the world of my film. I won't give any more away than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I sort of use that as a way to talk about this, and uh, maybe if, if any of your listeners see the film, uh, they will know exactly when when that moment happens. Maybe they won't. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's 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 a uh, kind of a it's a big it's a big underlier for the movie, but it also um, it, you can you can read it that way or, or not, depending, and you still kind of enjoy the film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I like is uh, as the movie progresses, I think it asks more and more of the male character. And it also kind of challenges the audience more?
2: Like, yeah. Uh, um, you know. And I felt that was a little bit my responsibility too because like I am a character not unlike the, the lead, and I felt like I could kind of push against him more mm-hmm. and more um, because you kind of adopt the perspective of the audience. Uh, the audience uh, is on his shoulder the whole time. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like you get to kind of grow with him as he learns about uh, this group and, and sort of the, the things that they have to deal with. So,
0: what was it about the actor uh, Nick Fink that made him right for that role, as Peter?
2: Nick Nick was just—I mean, he just he, he honestly—he—he he killed his his audition. Um, and we were actually—we actually found him very last minute. We um had sort of—we had structured some some deals with him, some potential uh uh leads that kind of either we ended up not being satisfied with, or they fell through, and it was actually we we finally booked Nick. We 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 confirmed him. 48 hours before we started shooting. Um, and so it was, it was a very kind of whirlwind thing where we kind of found the perfect uh, Peter at the last minute and kind of and locked him down. I had a call with him, and he seemed pretty confident with the material. He just sort of showed up, showed up on Monday, the first day of, of principal photography, just kind of just, and he was that character. It was very easy building all the other performances around him because he was just, he was the character that I, that I sort of had envisioned. Um, and honestly, he's he's a great. You can see him on uh, Legacies on uh, the CW. He, he's a fantastic actor. I think he would have made a better uh, Han Solo, with no disrespect to the guy who who played him in the I movie. Could that, I can see that actually. Now you mentioned he's, it. He's, yeah. he's kind of got like a young Harrison Ford vibe uh, um, that I that I I think people really enjoy. Yeah, I could I could totally
0: see that. And I mentioned it. he's like a good-looking guy, but yet could uh, uh, can make fun of himself, and so yeah, it would totally work as Han Solo.
2: Yeah, he's very, he's very willing to kind of play around with that too. Uh, he would, there are some moments in the movie that kind of like, uh, flip the character on his head and he was always great at just kind of responding organically to that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So I don't want to, like you said, give too much away about the movie, but you know, some like cliches like it doesn't matter what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. And I think everyone would like to think that, but, uh, in reality it does matter to to most people on some level. And then, uh, as the movie goes on, you know, like I said, it challenges that idea more and more.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely. And I think that different people who come from different backgrounds, who have had different experiences, either with, you know, um, same sex or gender fluid partners. Uh, so, so, people bring different things to the movie and I've noticed people have different reads. Some people, there's a character that emerges, um, sort of the, the lead opposite of, uh, of Peter and some people really identify, you know, to feel like they're doing their best to accommodate Peter. And some people think Peter's doing their best to accommodate, uh, him. It's a situation where no one's really wrong, right? Because like there are, there's always struggles in, in any relationship, but especially when someone is kind of coming out of their comfort zone and experiencing sort of a new relationship dynamic that they have never had before. Um, it's just, it's just complicated because nobody's right. Nobody's wrong. Um, Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, you know, at, uh, besides all these questions, it's still, it's also a sweet uh, romantic comedy. Oh,
2: thank you. Yeah, that's sort of how it's the, little, the 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 sort of bow that we wrap around all of the the other things we wanted to talk about. But yeah, I, I wanted it to be like a, a fun movie for people to watch, and and some of my favorite movies are romantic comedies. Uh, um, about um, About Time is a recent one that I really love, although I think it's maybe more of a coming of age story. Um, uh, probably my all time favorite is when Harry met Sally, but I love like those, uh, Nora Ephron films of like the nineties. Like there, there was, there's definitely a time when the, the romantic comedy definitely had kind of was venerated in popular culture. I think kind of now we get, um, there's, there's not really as many of the kind of emerge as like huge popular culture kind mm-hmm. of tent poles. Although I, I really enjoyed crazy rich Asians. I thought that was like a really well-made film. Yeah, and, I haven't uh, seen
0: it, but I know a lot of people really liked it.
2: It like the, the original music is fantastic and it's just like, it plays on a lot of genre tropes in a way that you would expect uh, from a romantic comedy, but you don't really care because it's just so well done and the, the, it's so well cast that you're, you're just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of felt that way about, uh, what's another good one? Um, someone great, uh, who was just came out on Netflix, uh, with Gina Rodriguez, um, is also pretty good. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I watched a lot of romantic comedies kind of gearing up for this. Just, I would just sit, Um, with later drafts of the, of the script and just kind of watch and immerse myself in the different kind of like feels of different, uh, films, serendipity, like a lot of nineties, a lot of nineties films. Yeah.
0: Um, I was always a big fan of high fidelity.
2: High fidelity is a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel like John Cusack was really a great kind of rom-com lead. I don't really know if, uh, if, is it gross point blank? I'm trying to think of the one where he, he's like a high school student who's in love with this girl. Uh, but it's this really darkly funny film and he's, he's fantastic in it. He was, he was, he's a great rom-com lead though. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I think it is because there's also high fidelities when he's got the, uh, the boom box over his head. I mean, say yeah, anything.
2: I'll say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Although he's really good. Yeah. High, high fidelity is also great. That's the one yeah, with like, really five, good. uh, the five, is it like the five women that he's, yeah. the biggest Heartbreaks he's had. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, say anything is, is, uh, yeah, he's, but there's like a, I think I read an interesting article about how that could kind of have like a dark turn if you really think about like how he kind of like completely uproots his life to um, to sort mm-hmm. of uh, pursue this woman. It's kind of like the end of uh, um, of Greece in a way, right? It's like mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. only yeah. thing you have to do is completely change yourself and what you want to do with your life. <laughs> right. um, but That's it's still a uh, great. It's a it's a real, real well-made. It's a real well-made movie. Um, yeah. John Cusack. It's it's just a great. He's a, he's a great lead. Yeah.
0: So, what were like, uh, like the kind of movies that you watch that made you want to make
2: movies? Oh, that I wanted to make movies. Um, you know, originally I thought I wanted to work in animation. Uh, I think that the first film that really made me consider pursuing any kind of filmmaking was, uh, um, I mean, I always wanted to draw cartoons as a kid. I just kind of convinced myself that I wanted to be an architect or something more prestigious than that. But um, it was. Right before I went to college, um, I guess that would have been the summer of like 2010, I guess. It was around the time I was watching um, Toy Story 3, I guess now. Oh, Toy Story 4 now in theaters, or coming to theaters soon. Uh, but I was watching Toy Story 3 with my niece, who's about 10 years younger than me. And it was this weird experience where I had always identified as the age of, of Andy, the sort of like kid in,
1: mm-hmm.
2: in Toy Story. Um, but I had this kind of like weird existential moment about like, wow, like I've always identified as this character and now he's going off to college at the same time that I am. And it's just kind of this weirdly cathartic experience that I could sense a whole generation experiencing like around me. Like there were so many people who were saying goodbye to these characters, we thought at the time. Uh, but really, it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't that. But I am. Um, sort this of losing my train of thought. But yeah, it was just like this, this moment that I felt like the whole world kind of like had this similar cathartic experience. And at the time I thought I wanted to do, you know, like giant blockbuster films, but I was really attracted to this idea of making characters that, you know, meant something to people 10 years later. And just like this really transformative, uh, you know, powerful um, element of, of movies um, kind of was instilled in me, I think, through animation growing up. But then I sort of uh, veered into live action later on. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was probably Toy Story three, and then Up was um, before that was actually. Like, I think the the opening montage in Up was one of the greatest montages ever in film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought I wanted to be like a like a, a storyboard artist and uh, and be like a story editor for Pixar, but then I kind of fell in love with actually working with actors and uh, um, making live action stuff.
0: Yeah. So I, I assume you're looking forward to the new Toy Story it comes out in a couple weeks. I I, think.
2: I am I am very much looking forward to it. Um, I'm about to, I, I think I'm going to buy my ticket actually tomorrow. i have just got to figure out who's going to go with me. Uh-huh. Um, they, they are sort of like huge cultural events. We're, we're definitely in a summer of nostalgia too. Cause we've got, mm-hmm. uh, Lion King and Toy Story and I guess Dumbo and, and Aladdin already came out, but there's mm-hmm. just like a, it's, I, while some people are s- skeptical of things like Dumbo and, and, uh, and Aladdin, I don't think anybody's really ever skeptical for Toy Story because they just, um, it's yeah. always updated to the present moment, but it never, also never, like talks down to the people who loved the originals, which is why I think they're some of the best movies ever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the other ones. It's it's odd that they make so many live action movies off of uh, their classic animated movies.
2: Yeah, I I think it was was a Maleficent. I don't know what movie it is that we can really blame for it. Uh, I, I guess maybe the Jungle Book did pretty well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it I. I I don't necessarily mind it. I feel like they're doing too many all at once, though. Like, we're yeah, it's like three out. This, yeah, right. They're gonna they're gonna run out of their vault, like of their vault titles over the course of what, like three or four years. They're gonna have done right. all their movies. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: then they'll do animated versions of uh, of the live action. The re-
2: yeah, version. animated versions of the live action <laughs> ones. Yeah, right.
0: it'll just be a, an endless cycle.
2: Um, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah, I guess they make money, and you know, they
0: Disney likes money. Sure. I guess probably most people do. We can't
2: explain. Most Disney. people do like me. I just want to say if anyone from Disney is listening, I also love Disney. I love the right. movies. If you wanted to let me make one, I would I would like to. Uh, um
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what were your, what the, the short movies you made um what what kind of like I guess genre would, would they be called or considered? Um you know, I
2: I I have never really considered myself like a genre specific person. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that like, for instance, you uh, have a high interest in a, like, I, like I do love horror. I've never made one personally just because Uh I haven't, it hasn't hit, there hasn't like the story has not hit me yet, but I've made like a psychological thriller, like sort of supernatural psychological thriller. I made one, I made a period drama, um, and, uh, like sort of a, sort of a romantic, date, like kind of meshing of a couple of different ones. So yeah, I kind of vary project to project. I, um, like I just wrote a script that's sort of more like a, a romantic historical epic. Um, I've done like, you know, like hard comedy. It really, it's project by project. I'm more motivated by like the high concepts moving yeah. down. And then I figure out really cool characters that can live in that world. And then a little bit more like the tone kind of comes, comes out of that. Yeah. Um,
0: well I am just a movie fan. Uh without your heads my horror movie podcast we oh, yeah. started I, I guess just started that specifically. Like you you for... have
2: kind of like a you have kind of like a a, sub, a specialization, a mastery a little bit. I think automatically when you have a podcast and something, you you have more you're more of an authority certainly than than I am on right. uh, on on horror. Yeah. But All yeah. Right.
0: So- so this show, like, because I I did want to interview just other people that aren't always not that I don't like or I love for, but uh, so this that's why uh, inside your head exists is uh, mm-hmm. I actually had uh, Ed Astor on the show from from Up, which is very awesome to have on the.
2: You know, he I saw him. I was uh my my first time at UCLA. Um, we have like duplicate hard drives, right? Like backups, right. and I named mine Carl and Ellie, and I drew little faces <laughs> on them, and he was there uh at. Um, I guess they have like a, like dramatic readings like uh, um, at UC, UCLA um, of different like scripts and stuff, different uh, radio plays. And he was there um, and I saw him for a moment down the hall and I'm holding a drive with a little cartoon version of Carl on it. And I'm just looking at it and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at it and I'm looking at him and I was like, I should go up and say something. And then a giant like just flood of people just descended on him. He looked so annoyed and I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. And I went upstairs, but it was, it was, it was a very cool moment. It was my, one of my first Hollywood <laughs> moments. I've had like way more of them now that I've, that I've been out here for a few years, but it was just like, I usually, I, it is you I, over there. <laughs> I just like babbling like an idiot. Yeah. I'm going to have so to go back and listen to your, to your Asner interview now. Yeah, it was, it was very, it was, I was
0: very proud of it. Um, it was very funny too. He's a very funny guy. Um, where where did you, where do you come from originally to, to go to, to Hollywood?
2: I am originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I was born and raised there. Um, went to a little liberal arts school called Rhodes college there as well. And then came out here for film school in 2014 yeah. been here ever since.
0: So were your parents uh cool or uh, supportive of you wanting to make movies?
2: Yeah. My mom, um, was, my mom's kind of my, my hero. Like she kind of, worked really hard to put me through private school and then make sure that I was in a place to kind of get myself a scholarship for, for, uh, for college. But she never really asked me like, you know, how are you going to make a living? What are you going to do? It was always more about like, what do you find fulfilling? And what, uh, I think her favorite thing to say was do something that you love because, you know, it's nothing but work after you get out of school and do something that doesn't feel like work. And, um, I discovered filmmaking, I guess probably when I was around, I think I said a decade ago but really it was probably more like you know 1819 when I started making my first uh shorts and she was actually one of the people that was most instrumental in me making that documentary about my little cousin and uh was just always so supportive of me from from that time on um you know drove drove across country with me you know with a, with a car full of stuff to set up my first apartment and um you know came out here, came out here for the sort of private premiere with you know just friends and family, and just always has been my number one fan and supporter uh, ever since I can remember. And I'm very fortunate in that because I know a lot of people um, out here are like, even still after getting their MFAs are pressured like into going into law school or something or to do right. something that's more practical. Um, but uh, I think it's also, it does, I guess it kind of helps that I've had a little bit of success so far, but she's always been um, super supportive.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about uh, festivals and like um, you know meeting other people who make movies, so like that. Yeah, so that's kind of how this interview came about. Was I met uh, Candace Nachman at Boston Underground Film Festival, and she mentioned you, you were looking for you know some place to talk about your movie, and so you connected and stuff. So how, how did you know? How do you know Candace? I know her from Boston Underground Film Festival.
2: Um, so yeah, filmmaking is all about networking. I feel like, but Candace is actually two years above me at uh, UCLA, and uh, one of the reasons that, honestly, one of the prime reasons I went to film school was because I had no real network of filmmakers, but at uh, UCLA, each year, they let in uh, 24 students, I think like six cinematographers and the rest are directors, um, but we also kind of co-mingle with the, with the classes above us, so there's usually about 100 filmmakers making m- movies um, around the same time, and I met her on a set, and uh, I just love Candice's energy, and she is a super cool down-to-earth person. And, uh, actually her, her, her now husband, um, worked on, um, he was the gaffer on, uh, my second short film at UCLA. So oh, I know nice. her and, and her family really well. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just kind of like that, that mingling of so many people at, at one place has always, has been super valuable for me. Cause that's where I met all the people who worked on this film and I got my first, uh, job in development, uh, sort of through a connection to UCLA uh, not even like the larger alumni network would just literally like my, my closest friends are, have been super supportive. And I feel like it's also a philosophy of like wh- whichever one of us kind of pulls ourselves up first, we will help the others, um, kind of do the same. Uh, um, so that's kind of like my main, my main network has been UCLA, but I also have a lot of great friends that I've met through like, uh, the, um, Atlanta film festival has been super great to me over the past, um, half year or so. Um, uh, Indie Memphis is my hometown festival and one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, Bridget Wheeler there is just like an amazing, she just got moved up to like, I think the director of, um, the whole, uh, of like all programming and she's fantastic and, 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 uh, helped me kind of meet some, some local filmmakers there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it it is kind of all about networking the film industry. So yeah, I I think, uh, for anybody who is uh, making films, uh, and you get into any kind of festival. The the, the main value of that is actually going. Uh, mm-hmm. I know sometimes it can be super prohibitively expensive if it's some, you know across the country or anything. But if it's if it's someplace within driving distance, you should just. My my recommendation is always to go because the screenings are always great. But but the, the, the really the great thing is to meet other filmmakers who are going through the same kind of struggles that you are, and it mm-hmm. can be kind of therapeutic to sit down and just kind of talk about you can both commiserate and celebrate sort of the weird wonky practice of, of making movies together.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. I started going to them last uh, year at the Boston Underground Film Festival in 2018 and then uh, from there I did a bunch of other ones and uh you know, I uh, connected with a lot of people who make movies and that's cool and uh, I ended up making a, a short movie that's going to premiere next or this weekend at uh at a film festival in in Boston oh, that's uh, with awesome. people that I met thank you i'm very proud of it and uh so anyway like I said, like you just like you said you meet uh it's cool to watch all the movies obviously but it's cool to um even if you just go to hang out it's that's fun too but yeah you definitely you meet these people and they're like minded people who like stuff you like and uh you know and do do stuff that you're into so it
2: it's really cool all around it's one thing i've also heard from other filmmakers is especially like if you have like a specific like a really great uh, film that fits into a certain genre or like, mm-hmm. like if you made a really good action movie or, and you get into specific genre specific festivals like fantastic fest or Fantasia um, you'll end up kind of on a circuit with other films. Like you'll see the same filmmakers at multiple conferences. And I've heard people mm-hmm. kind of making really lasting friendships that way uh, mm-hmm. because you, you end up at the same, the same like five festivals uh, you essentially uh, kind of have the same vacation time as uh, right. as as other as other films and filmmakers, and uh, it can be really great at at setting up your next project too, because you get to see other people who are interested in the same stuff you are, and um, it really creates cool opportunities for collaboration.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for people who out there just want to see a movie, I'll throw this out there: like uh, a lot of movies I saw last year at, at various horror festivals are now. You know, on Shutter, you know, popping up on Shutter, so you get to see a lot totally. of this stuff like a year before you know most people totally. To see it.
2: Yeah, it's a great yeah. It, that's that's such a good point. You you get like kind of a um, a first look at a lot of a, a lot of films and um, a lot of the marquee films also. Yeah, will end up like in theatrical releases like mm. way way later, and you can kind of say like, oh, I already saw that. Like, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's always it's always cool to to kind of get be the the first, and you can also kind of. Uh, tell like the films that you're probably the most passionate about are than the ones that kind of get a little bit of a following later on. You can kind of feel like a cool trendsetter.
0: Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember seeing Ranger last like February, March, and now it's got like a lot of buzz. It just debuted on Shredder, but yes, yeah, so I saw it like a year ago. And but then it's also cool because you know the people involved, and and you feel good for them. So uh, it's a lot of all positives, I think.
2: Yeah, that um, I so I saw uh, there's a film called Short Term 12, which is maybe one of my favorite films of the last ten years. Um, it's a film uh, that um, started kind of didn't start a career, but um, it was the first big vehicle for Brie Larson.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, I saw a screen. It's also got Lakeith Stanfield and Rami Malek. It was like a, a role, early role of him. Not everybody in that movie has exploded, but I saw it mm-hmm. at the um, Little Rock Film Festival in like 2013. I saw it um and nobody really knew anybody in it and it was just i knew it was going to be this hugely successful movie and then like before you know it it was shortlisted for an oscar and then um and then brie won an oscar for uh room and Lake stanfield's on atlanta ran, uh, won an oscar this year so that was kind of my early hipster moment of film festivals where i was <laughs> like yeah I knew everyone in here was going to be, was going to be successful. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so you can have that. You can have that hipster moment going to uh, festivals and, <laughs> and and spotting out the next big thing. Exactly. And so, since I am a horror movie fan, you have to mention that
0: that that Carol, who plays Mama, is in this movie. For other like really horror geeks, she was in um, uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning. That is correct. Right. That I knew right away she was somebody. I was
2: like, I know this woman. And, she's uh, the, she she's the best. She stole uh-huh. she steals everything she's in in the movie and she's great in in Friday the 13th. Um yeah. she's
0: just
2: a, such an accomplished character actor too. Like you would notice her if you go to her uh, Carol uh uh like I tell, uh if you go to her INDB, she has like so many like just cool um roles like kind of in the in the reads of a lot of uh, films and TV shows that you're probably aware of, but she's just an incredibly down-to-earth person who um, was really in love with the script, and I think that's why she signed on on for it. Yeah.
0: What, what was that? What was the whole experience like that to cast the movie? Oh man. Uh, so um, this is my second
2: film using a casting director, um, and so I kind of so there are four, I think 43 speaking roles in this movie, which is kind of a lot for a small production like ours. Uh, but I just sort of posted to the Casting Society of America. It's like they're sort of like guild. And uh, through their network, I was able to get in touch with several people who are interested in um, casting it. But I ended up going with uh, Bass Casting, which is Jordan uh, Bass in L.A. And he works with his sister, Lauren, out of New York. And they are amazing. And uh, so we kind of just sat down. And I was like, here are some, you know, like here's a running list of potential guys who are kind of like Peter and here, you know, I just kind of, we came up with lists for like every major character, but then they kind of, uh, figured out a way to, um, kind of use their network to, uh, make straight offers like a uh, Juliet who played, um, uh, Juliet who plays his sister, Peter's sister, Mia, um, with someone that we didn't even audition. Cause I like, I, I she was in my head actually as like one of the, the figures, um, when I was writing it, that would make a great, uh, like sister to, to Peter cause of some work she did in, uh she was an easy A and then also a film called fired up where she like kind of steals every scene that she's in. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was kind of just the process of figuring out. So, uh, so the second part of that story earlier that where I mentioned that we cast Peter um, uh, 48 hours before we started shooting um, because of the nature of the film, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of characters that are sort of based around Peter. And so we ended up casting Nick's a little bit younger than some of the other people we were looking for, for, for Peter, but we had to build the whole cast around him. So we actually were casting the whole movie uh, about 48 hours before we started shooting. We actually like made firm offers to people. We were actually still casting people into our second week of, of shooting because I mean we had like them all lined up with who we wanted, but we did not pull that trigger until we had Nick Fink. Um, and so it was kind of this mad dash of like, uh, I wanted to have like a week of, of rehearsals and like having everybody kind of meet each other. Um, but I ended up meeting a lot of, uh, these really amazing talented actors, uh, the day that we started shooting, I would shake their hand and then like, you know, 45 minutes later, they would be, you know, out of, out of, um, makeup and, and and starting a scene. Um, which I really, I really, to, to Nick's credit, he always kind of made them feel um, at home and like they were all part of the same film. Uh, and that kind of did half the directing work for me, honestly, but to answer your question, yeah, it was, it was an amazing casting director who kind of did most of the work for me. I got to just kind of watch, uh, selected, um, sort of t- tapes and, and kind of give my two cents on it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: S- since you mentioned you are, uh, you know, a cisgender white guy, um, have you heard from like the LGBTQ community, uh, uh, what they thought of the movie?
2: Um, I've had a couple of uh, re- just reactions from people who came to see the movie. Just kind of just in- enjoying it, and uh, both both people who are um, of of the queer community and people who um, are, are advocates, allies, and family members, just kind of uh, being very nice and supportive after the fact. I, I had a couple of friends of mine um, who are. Uh, um, Gender queer or, or transgender, um, read the script early on, uh, just sort of like making sure that I was not doing anything like subtractive or harmful and trying to make sure that it still felt, um, you know, uh, I guess emotionally truthful to their experience. And I, and I kind of got support from them early on that gave me confidence to, to make the movie. Um, but yeah, people have been really, there's, um, yeah, there, there have been, some also some LGBT um, cast and crew members who who were really supportive of me through the making of it. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to kind of get this the sense of what a larger organization like the Trevor Project um, uh, thinks about it. Though, um, yeah, I'm always and I and I don't think because um, uh, but I also don't I don't resist criticisms of any kind sure. because I think that um, it's always important for um, and, and, and what I would like to really do in the future because I always want to incorporate um, I want to incorporate, uh, sort of queer themes and characters where it seems right and honest to the story. But also one thing that I really want to do is as I, if I can gain any kind of clout as a director is to, um, is to produce, um, uh, minority filmmakers, either, you know, people of, uh, you know, indigenous backgrounds, um, or, you know, um, LGBT, LGBT folks, various people of color. I would like to, produce other di- talented writers and directors and kind of allow them to tell s- their own stories. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, um, by the way, uh, when I mentioned Carol before, she really plays a character in the movie that uh, is like uh, basically blind to all this. Uh and just accepting to all of this, which, which is, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, like that, it shows how it. Aff- oh, sorry to talk with it. That it affects um, not only uh, the person that she's in relationship with, but her family and friends, and uh, you know everybody.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and Carol's again just knocks everything out of the park that that she's in. Um, sort of, sort of an amalgamation of uh, my mother's acceptance and also just very strong i was sort of raised by a lot of you know strong intelligent women and 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 uh mamaw character is kind of like an amalgamation of of mm-hmm. that um but yeah what was the other i'm sorry i missed the other part of your question
1: uh
0: the well the, the movie itself it um it takes into account that um that this can affect not only persons that um um eloise is in a relationship
2: yeah their family, the family and yeah. Um yeah, which I think again is also a little bit affected by uh, that first documentary that I made. Um uh was all about sort of my I, I it's, so I'm from Memphis, which is in Tennessee, which is um you know, kind of the buckle of a Bible belt and it mm-hmm. was interesting to see different uh some progressive and some not so progressive members of my family uh, sort of responding to uh, my little cousin sort of asserting their gender identity. And, uh, it sort of also showed me that like, you know, everyone is in some way affected or connected by, um, by like queer experience. And I wanted to kind of figure out a way to, um, kind of show that in a po- in a positive way. Um, because some, so many times people have, I mean, people have completely, uh, severed themselves from, from their families because of the way that they view their sexuality or their gender identity. And I, and I didn't want this to be one of those, those stories uh, for, um, for mamaw. There are some other characters and as, as if you watch the film, uh, that, um, there are some other Rocky relationships caused by sort of the, the, the allegory of, of gender identity and and sexuality. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want that to be the, where we ended the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's the character of mamaw is kind of like a more of a celebration of the positive aspects of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the whole allegory really takes on the idea of uh, being comfortable in your own skin.
2: Which yeah, I that's, think a good, is, that's a good way to putting it. Um, which I, and, and people who who have honestly, I I, I didn't realize this making it. Um, it sort of took on a lot of additional uh, meanings for people. Uh, the, we talk about documentation a little bit in the movie, but that became um, I sort of wrote it in in a pre-Trump America, and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 it sort of there became like a sort of an immigration element to it, and then also mm-hmm. just um, in terms of body positivity, there were a lot of people who talking about being comfortable in your own skin and that's a big uh struggle that one of the main characters has to go through um but a lot of people who just kind of felt um discomfort with their own bodies you know either they thought Mm -hmm. they were too you know tall or too short too fat too skinny um it's sort of uh, even removed from the the queer element of it there is a lot of just trying to celebrate the validity of of all of all bodies and uh, that was something that uh, that people were really um really responded well to which i enjoyed Mm.
0: I think that makes it relatable then for uh, for a wider audience.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a it's an entry point for anybody. I think that mm-hmm. um, while while and and again, like the, you can kind of set aside what the director intended in in a lot of ways. Like just because I see the the sort of LGBT uh, element of it, a lot of people may may not at all, and, and may gravitate more towards that. Like, yeah, it's just like being comfortable in your own skin, which is just a really human problem to have. Um, because we all kind of feel um, sort of amiss sometimes in our own bodies. Yeah,
0: and uh, I don't think this will give away the uh, big a- anything in the movie really, besides what yeah, we but already you, talked about. You but,
2: say whatever you want; it's your podcast.
0: All <laughs> right. Well, there's a, a line I actually wrote down because I thought it was very powerful in the movie. It was very emotional. It was uh, her his friend says uh, angry for hiding something that she knew would make you run away, or scared that maybe ultimately it doesn't matter? And I thought. It kind of sums up the, the, uh, the point of the movie too.
2: Yeah. That's a good, that's a, you know what? People don't really point that line out, but it's actually one of my favorites. So I, I appreciate you, uh, you mentioning it. Cause yeah, it's, I think that sometimes we are a little bit afraid of our potential for being at, for going outside our comfort zone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that this, this character of Peter goes through is sort of, where he starts thinking about what love and attraction means to him is very different by the end of the movie. And I didn't want it to be like, I didn't want to really imply that, you know, he's just suddenly or like that people can suddenly change their sexuality sure. willfully. Mm-hmm. But I think that w- what it really gets at is that I think there is more fluidity at the core of us that we just don't always necessarily access. And some people are m- more so than others, but, um especially since this it's about like kind of him falling for this character and falling in love and then realizing something different about some of a disconnect physically later on like it's not about that initial attraction it's about the love and then the attraction sort of kind of uh flowing out of that and so yeah i think that's a great um that's a great line that really encapsulates the whole thing which is a lot of thing a lot of what peter is struggling with the whole time is the fear that it actually doesn't matter. And that what he is um, I, and that it, it's really not a struggle for him as much as he feels like it should be. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I know you have the
0: website, the way you look, uh, the way you look tonight, film.com. So I guess That's you can right. go there and, and find out where it's going, but wh- where does it go after dances with films?
2: Um, we are waiting to hear back from God, probably another dozen or so uh, festivals. Um, but we actually also have gotten um, several um, sort of interested distributors kind of we're sort of starting to talk to them through our sales agents so um, uh, yeah hopefully you will see it um, it'll come to a a theater near you at some point in the future or be available um, on demand but yeah so this is definitely not the end of our run we are actually just beginning and uh, hopefully it's going to kind of grow and uh be available in different platforms uh, more in the next, you know, in the coming months. Yeah. Very cool. So uh,
0: obviously that's exciting, but is it also, um, you have to be, you don't have to look out for, for certain things since it's your first movie, your first feature, mm-hmm. and uh, picking the right distributor. Because I've had lots of people on the show uh, who have, you know, horror stories of uh, of some of their first distrib- distributors. Mm-hmm.
2: And about yeah, great story, we, so, yeah. yeah um, it is interesting because uh, I think especially because we exist in a time when there's so much content and there are so many um, avenues kind of to present that content that it can kind of sometimes, uh, there are really legitimate ways to do that and then some people kind of get stuck in some that, that aren't so legitimate. And it, even when you're just trying to get, you know, somebody to go out and present your film, you know, like we, we've had people approach us who are very, you know, respectful and grounded about, you know, their interest in us. And then some people were like, Hey, if you pay us, we'll show your film to Netflix or whatever. Um, and so people automatically kind of get stuck in those kind of, uh, in those kind of traps. But in terms of figuring out the distributor that you want, I think it's so, um, uh, I found it best to kind of first figure out if there was a sales agent who really kind of connected with the film and could present the film, um, better than I ever could to potential buyers. And then once, uh, they kind of come back to you with interested parties, kind of looking at, I think the best thing to do is look at the company that is asking about you, right? Like looking at how many films they distribute a year, um, what, uh, what attention each of those films gets and more more so than like thinking about the size of the company or how much money they're going to give you. Mm -hmm. Think about, um, if, you know, the types of films they're making makes sense for, if it makes sense for you to be part of that, of that filmography, if it makes sense, um, for it. And also if there are films that you really admire that you would like to be included in, in that filmography. Um, so that's what it, what it's been more about for me is, um, we've had like a handful of of really great, um, distributors kind of reach out. And I, I don't think I'm allowed to say anything other than that at this point. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think it's about that and then as you start to kind of get to talking to them, to, to reps from, from the different distributors, just make sure it's a good fit because you know, that film, if you choose to go with like a domestic distributor um, for, or if you split your rights between international and, uh, and domestic, um, you know, that's going to be a relationship that you're going to have for, you know, 10 or 15 years, however long your license runs. Uh, so make sure that it's somebody that uh, you like and you, you, you want to keep talking to you because that's also a great um, relationship to build uh, for your next movie because you might want to you might start you know a lot of distributors are also production companies or have a production arm and that might be a great in for you to work on your next thing especially if they have a filmography that uh, explores issues or genre or something else that you're really passionate about Um, Mm -hmm. then you automatically kind of have a fan of yours who might be interested in working on the next thing with you.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So the way you look tonight is going to be uh Friday this Friday at Dances with Film. Where is Dances with Film? Is that at
2: the uh Egyptian? Dances with Films is at the uh the the Chinese Theater China. in oh, okay. Hollywood cool. in Hollywood, California. Uh so come on out. Um it's a it's a big beautiful uh theater right next to the the world famous IMAX one. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope to see some of you out there.
0: Yeah, I was out there a few years ago for a very different movie, Human Centipede 3 premiere, but it was a very good oh, cool Yeah.
2: Oh, man. I've only seen the
0: first two. Mm-hmm. Well, I would recommend staying with the first two. Okay. I, I, I would not recommend it ever, ever watching the third one to anyone. But, oh, uh, God. It's, it's, uh, I would not <laughs> say I enjoyed it. But it was it was an experience, I will say.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm like shivering thinking about it now. Um, <laughs> but I really did uh, like the way of, you looked tonight. Thank you. Yeah, uh, see, we got we have Neil's endorsement. The way you looked tonight, better than Human Centipede Part Three. <laughs> yeah,
0: that'll go on the poster. Yeah, better than <laughs> Human Centipede Three, uh, which I'm sure will will attract a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciated this. This was a lot of fun. Neil, thank you so much for having me.
1: And I get high and watch TV all day Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to Swapping baseball cards and playing ball Then came high school classes that I couldn't understand Not now No, not right now When i say I need to get alive